Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Art of Decluttering podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kirsty Ferugia. And I'm Amy Ravel, and we are here today with a friend of ours who I've known, Jack, I'm working it out to be about 24 years or something like that, a really, really long time. <laughs> Jackie Cousins, why don't you introduce yourself to our beautiful community? Thanks, Amy. Um, my name's Jackie. I am a mental health nurse, and Amy and Kirsty have invited me onto the podcast to talk about mental health. And Jack's been doing all of our mental health first aid training. So all of our staff go through this training. Um, we see it as such an important part of providing the best care we can for our community. So Jack's got so much goodness to share. And you may see Jack popping up in our Facebook community. She's um, a really engaged member, lots of good encouragement and thoughts and challenges and all of those things. So tell us, how did you get into mental health first aid training? Uh, great question. Um, so I have been working as a community health nurse for the last 15 years and um, a big part of my role is actually supporting people with mental health issues. So a couple of years ago, a colleague, I was looking at different work that I could do and a colleague actually said to me, why don't you think of doing mental health first aid? So I actually um, did some training with my local church uh, just to see if it was a good fit for me and I really love the course. Um, so I decided to become an instructor and do that as well as the work that I'm doing in community health. And what's your role in community health? Do you want to tell us a bit about what that looks like day to day? Sure. So for the last sort of 12 years or so, I've been working as a youth health nurse, so predominantly working with youth and families, uh, supporting them with physical health issues, mental health issues um, and adolescent health issues. Uh, as well as that, I studied at Melbourne about six years ago and completed a postgrad in mental health nursing. So that now makes me um, eligible to be a credentialed mental health nurse, which is equivalent to a psychologist, and we provide counselling to people in the community from a nursing perspective. Jack, we see lots and lots of people in the community um, with mental health. We often call them mental health disruptions because mm -hmm. we're not trained in any way to diagnose anything, but we can see that mental health has an impact on people's living situations. I would love you to talk to that. What do you see? What do you see some of the problems are and what are some of the possible solutions? Yeah, look, mental, in mental health first aid training, which Amy and Kirsty and their team have done, it talks about the mental health, uh, mental wellbeing spectrum. So the concept of, you know, we have, there's a point of um, health and there's a point of ill health and all along that spectrum people uh, which sometimes we move through in any given day but there's a, uh, a point where we actually get to where that sense of ill health or well or struggle with our well-being starts to impact on our day-to-day -day function. So how I often like to describe it particularly to young people and their families is if anyone's watched the Pixar movie Inside Out it's a wonderful movie that basically validated sadness. So in a culture mm. that's obsessed with happiness, 
Uh, Pixar, which um, they do so wonderfully well, is they um, communicate messages to the pop uh, to society about some of the issues we're struggling with. And Inside Out was an absolute cracker because they basically taught children and their parents that sadness is a valuable emotion. And I think that's a really important message at the moment because I think we're de-skilled at processing those sad feelings. Um, So everyone has feelings of worry or fear. Everyone has feelings of sadness. But those feelings become anxiety and depression when they start to impact on our day-to-day function. So they often the kinds of signs and symptoms we see is we might feel it physically in our body. We might start to withdraw from friends. We might start with, you know, struggle to get to work. So we might have increased absenteeism. We might just not have as much joy in our life. Things are a real struggle. Um, And they're really warning signs for us uh, that we're not doing so well. And sometimes that happens because you've had a difficult time at work or you've had a relationship breakdown, those kinds of things. Um, But if that feeling sustained, so normally if you're, you're having those feelings of sadness or worry for two to four weeks constantly, then that's where the health industry would say, okay, this is a health issue that we need to manage. So, yeah, on that spectrum, we can move up and down depending, you know, year 12s at the moment would be under stress. And so for some of them, there'd be a lot of emotions they're struggling with. But once school's finished, uh, which most of us have, you know, gone through that, uh, they're going to be feeling relief. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, but for some young people during that time, those feelings of worry and anxiety can build. And so if, you know, after year 12, those feelings don't go away, then that's really where, as you know, if pain persists or issues persist, see your doctor. So you had the opportunity of going into homes lots <laughs> over your career. Um, have you seen any correlation between clutter and mental health? Yeah, look, the, the, home, the home visit is such a privileged uh, priv- privileged position for any health worker. So I really admire professional organisers and the work that they do because I see them as an extension of our industry. So whilst they're not actually providing perhaps mental health care or health care, they're providing such an, a, a valuable service to people who perhaps see that they have an issue and they want to gain control back over their home life, but they need someone to assist them. That's possibly, you know, often something health workers can't do, mm. but professional organisers are skilled to do. And in healthcare, we tend to collaborate. So you might have a doctor and a mental health worker that works together, or in this case, for particularly clients um, on the NDIS or anyone else who's wanting to do this from a health perspective. Uh, your mental health worker and the professional organiser could work together towards your goals. Um, You know, because I think for some people, you know, perhaps who they just want to tidy up or as we hear on the podcast, you know, they might be changing life, you know, a life transition, they're retiring, moving house, uh, getting rid of baby clothes, um, those kinds of things. But I guess for some people in the community, um, it's part of the mental health journey. And I really hope to see professional organisers take a, a much um, more valuable role in, in that journey because any mental health worker that's done a home visit, it really just gives you an insight into that person's, who they are, you know. Mm. Our homes express who we are. Uh, for some people, you know, the art that's on the wall or um, 
the DVD collection that they have or the kinds of things that they collect, for me, as when I go into homes, it gives me an insight, a non-verbal insight into who they are. And for some people, um, when the home perhaps has got uh, for, for what they might say out of control or the clutter has got to a point where they, they no longer have the energy to address it, then that is an indication that perhaps then it's a mental health issue or it's an expression of a mental health issue. And so, yeah, a home visit can be really helpful um, in mental health care because I often like to think of it in terms of my own space, whether it's workspace, you know, like the messy desk. We often say sometimes that's a representation of a person's mind. They've got a lot of tabs open. Um, you know, sometimes home can be a bit that way. But at the end of the day, you know, I have a lot of friends who are creatives as well. So I joke that my sister's a bit of a maximist. <laughs> you know, she <laughs> she loves things and She's always got projects on the go, but for her, that's a vibrant, um, a, a vibrant environment that you know sparks joy. Using Marie Kondo's words, uh, sparks joy for her. Um, so I think we always must approach things from our own perspective. So what is a functional, healthy, happy environment is going to look different for everyone. But at the end of the day, and so it's important that in Mental Health First Day, we often talk about not judging, so listening and communicating non-judgmentally. And that's because everyone's different. You know, everyone's mental health um, is different. Everyone's sense of mental health well-being is different. At the end of the day, for each individual person, it's about is this space, um, is my home reflecting who I am? And this is what Amy and Kirsty, I hear them say on the podcast, um, is, is it um, helping you to live the kind of life that you want to live? And if it's not, then, you know, getting someone to come in and support you to perhaps adapt adapt it mm. or change it so it can to feel it can be the space where you literally call home. I love that idea, Jack, of being able to walk into a home and do a pretty quick assessment and also to do that assessment non-judgmentally. What I really love as a professional organiser is we can walk into a space and pretty quickly see some of your passions and so mm. one of your passions might be passing on items to other people who can't afford it or baking or cook, making clothes for my kids that I can't find at the shop or making sure there's a home-cooked meal when all the family gets home from their after-school activities. And we can see that because they've often bought the things to support that activity. But the clutter is often holding them back from actually living into that. And so what we can do is walk in and say, hey, I can see that you've got so much baking stuff. Tell me about your love of baking. Tell me who you bake for. Tell me when you bake. And usually it is, oh, I just don't do it as much as I'd like. And so part of the decluttering is then removing the excess clutter so that they can be released into the thing that they love, which they may have forgotten, but we can see because they've, you know, it's all around their house. Mm. And I think, you know, what came to mind when you said that, Amy, is, you know, we're in a, we're very much in a culture at the moment where there's lots of Renault shows, which I do love. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of Renault shows and there's lots of decluttering shows. But I think sometimes um, the pendulum can swing too far to the other way because sometimes we then think 
how homes have to look a certain way. Mm. And then we actually lose our authentic self because, you know, who we are as a person, our character um, and the values and uh, the, the passions that we have is often expressed in our external environment, whether it's our, you know, if you're a real fashionista and that's how you express your passions or Mm. for some people they express it in their jobs for some people they express it in their homes like Amy said and you know you express it by having people come over and cook them a meal people with hospitality the gift of hospitality are just amazing people because I just admire those people who can cook for 20 people and just not like my sister's like that and just not sweat it if that was me I would be like freaking out (laughs) um so I think it's really important to find that balance where we want to learn from each other and we want to sort of get maybe get ideas from some of those Renault shows but then not get caught into the trap of actually being thinking your home has to look you know um, exactly like it does on the telly or home beautiful or whatever it needs to be an expression of who you are and I think that's really part of the journey either a mental health journey or a decluttering journey is using that opportunity to say, who am I and and what do I want from life? Because I think for me anyway, I've always been the kind of kid that liked to rearrange and to my sister's distress, <laughs> I used to rearrange our shared bedroom. And But for me, it was a bit of a cathartic process because I was probably pro- mentally processing while I was doing that, even when I was only 10. Um you know, and I think there's probably many listeners who are, who would go, yes, yes, that's me. So really using um, the process of decluttering to, you know, to think about what, what's going on for me. I mean, some people just love to do it, but I think for many of us, it often, we do it because we're trying to make sense of either the world around us or, you know, we're trying to um, make sense of ourselves and what we mm. want out of life. That's what I love about both of both your profession and our profession profession is that it is taking those nonverbal cues and adding to it the person that's in front of us and noticing and knowing and getting to know that unique person and trying our best to be non-judgmental and understanding of their unique perspective on life and molding our practice towards them in that unique way that we bring to the job but also who they are and finding and helping them to uncover you do this in your job and we do this as well we help them to uncover who it is that they are and their unique expression in this world either through decluttering and through mental health um and we're not the only solution to that, but it is such a privilege and an honour to work alongside people as they remember mm. who they are or, you know, in adolescence they discover who it is that they're created to be. I think for me as a person of faith, what really drives the kind of work that I do is just uh, there's a verse in John 10 um, that says, I want to, I came to give you life and life to the full. Now, for there's people of you know who maybe aren't people of faith, but that concept is still there in many of us. So, or in in any of us, um, you know, I see that in professional trainers. So when I have a young person come in for counselling, I often use that example of you know a, a PT 
often says, okay, what are your goals? You know, you want to um, build strength or you want to recover from an injury or whatever it is. And then they identify goals and then you work towards those goals. And really the same is in mental health. We tend to talk about mental health recovery goals uh, because they're, you know, mental health first aid and the mental health sector believes we can recover uh, from emotional injury. Um, and then the, the work that professional organisers do as well is, is achieving those goals within the home environment, which is such an important part of our mental health journey because from a public health perspective, when you improve the social environment, which is the environment in which we live, work and call home, then that actually improves our health. And so I fully support the work that professional organisers do because it's actually... Um, by bringing, I guess, decluttering and, and bringing some equilibrium back to a person's home space, it can actually foster health for them. But acknowledging that for some people, that's a huge step. Mm. It's just a huge step. And so, you know, it's um, for some people, they're like pumped, ready to go, like, let's do this. But for other people, that's scary. And I love listening to the podcast and hearing people talk about sentimental items, particularly because I know that that's, you know, one of those um, can sometimes I think be a barrier to people um, tackling the home environment because it's like, you know, what if I have to get rid of these things or whatever? Um, but I think that's sometimes the hurdles that we have to approach, whether or not we're doing it from, a, you know, an actual mental health perspective with a trained mental health clinician and a professional organiser or whether it's just, you know, I got to the end of the year, I'm exhausted from COVID and I need, I need to create a new space for myself. Um, just really encouraging people to sort of approach decluttering as an opportunity to learn a bit about themselves and, and perhaps it might even uncover that mm, maybe, maybe I am a bit anxious, you know, maybe, um, you know, and, and if you are, then reaching out to someone, whether it's a pastor, um, a GP or a friend and, and you know, talking about those things. I think what I tend to find in my work is that, and I love the work of Brene Brown, um, mm -hmm. she's my Michael Jordan, as I often say, um, at the peak of her game. I love the fact that she's talking so much about vulnerability and shame because of what I would love to see in our community, I think our mental health would be fostered if we start to open up to each other. And I think that there's a lot of people in our community who, you know, want closer connection with their partners, family members and friends, but they're really struggling um, to know how to do that because we're, we're all like Insta-fake and fake book. Mm. You know, we all think we have to project something um, whereas really, uh, when people are projecting their authentic self, you know, that's when people, you know, that's the people I love because I love their, I love people's diversity. Um, who wants to, you know, who wants exactly the same of everything? Like that's just boring. Um, boring. but acknowledging that for a lot of people, you know, we're in image control, I think at the moment. And would really love to see people, I think the way out of that is um, being authentic with one another. But as Brene Brown says, that's really scary. <laughs> and so, you know, we need to find a way through that. Yeah, and it's high risk of rejection, which is one of the core things as people that we run fast as we can away from. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jack, before we jumped on the call, you were talking a little bit about um, end-of-day rituals and how when there's a lot going on in our heads, we're in high-pressure jobs or we're at home with little kids or we're caring for an elderly parent, like how have you found that turn off at the end of the day to kind of close the book on whatever outstanding clutter that is in your mind? Yeah, that's it's such an important part of mental health. So I do it in my work. Uh, So when I'm working at an office, but even at home, like while I've been working from home, I still have end of day ritual to switch between work and home. So a lovely supervisor many years ago taught me how to do that. So for me, (laughs) I tidy my desk um, and then switching off the computer and the light seems to, you know, all these filing cabinets shut in my head and then they, you know, remain locked until Monday when I, so I don't think about work much when I'm at home, which is really good. Um, that's good for my mental health. Um, but I think we, we talk a lot, we talk about that a lot in terms of mental health, um, well-being as well. So you might've heard the term sleep hygiene, and really that is just sleep rituals. So, you know, if people are struggling with sleep, um, you know, getting to sleep or sleep disturbance, we tend to talk about, well, you know, what sort of rituals can you do around the end of day? Because often what is keeping people awake is their brain has not yet shut down. And so they're ruminating over the the day's events, which at the moment is pretty challenging, you know, Mm -hmm. acknowledging that that's going to be the case because people are worried about a lot more things, Um, you know, not just COVID, but employment and budgets and all of those kinds of things. So acknowledging that at the moment, sleep will be a challenge. But if that is something, you know, uh, that's a good example of the value of ritual. So what is your end of day ritual? You know, for some people, they have a shower, brush their teeth, read a book and go to bed. And then by doing the same thing every day, our body, we, we teach kids this, don't we? Like little kids and uh, particularly primary age kids, we teach them the importance of a bedtime what that's really teaching our physical body is it's time to go to sleep. It works for cats too. <laughs> I have a cat that's an early riser and so I was Googling Jackson Galaxy for any cat enthusiasts who know who he is. You know, it's really just treating cats like little kids. You basically ignore them. <laughs> Why they, well, not you don't ignore babies, but 
the concept of training pets, physical beings just we get a lot out of ritual. Mm. Whereas in many ways our culture's like be spontaneous and do whatever. And that's great, but our mental well-being is often supported by ritual. And so it's just finding the balance between spontaneity and ritual because, you know, again, sleep uh, with mental health issues, sleep's often, I, my experience anyway, is it's the first thing to go and the last thing to get back because mm. it's often good sleep, unless you have a very labour-intensive job, then people, you know, tend to sleep pretty well. But uh, for a lot of people, poor sleep is a sign that your brain is just not shutting down. Um, sometimes it's other health issues as well, though. Um, so if issues persist, see your doctor. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if that's something, uh, you know, any of the listeners can relate to, that that's where some anxiety or depression management is really important, um, as well as, you know, inviting in a professional organiser and helping sort out your home <laughs> um, because it's creating a space that you feel calm. Um, yeah, Jack, can I just speak to that sleep yep. thing for just a minute before we move on to something else? Sure. Is we get so much feedback from clients after we do their bedrooms as to how improved their sleep is. Awesome. Even last week we had a client who, due to the clutter in her bedroom, which um, was not severe at all. It was just, you know, pretty low-level clutter. But she found it so anxiety-provoking. She'd been sleeping on the couch for three months. And so after she had her first session with us, which was in the bedroom, um, our professional organiser helped her make the bed at the end of the session and she slept in her room. And she said, I cannot believe how well I slept and how different I feel. And so it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, that even by having a space that's decluttered can help with sleep which can have the flow-on effect of helping your mental health. Absolutely. And I think, you know, my approach to mental health care is just try it, you know, like whether it's mindfulness or whether it's uh, Pilates or whatever sort of the strategies that you're going to try. At the end of the day, we just need to try it and see if it works for us. And if it doesn't, you know, try something else. Um, at the end of the day, you're trying to work out what works for you. You know, so for me, in terms of managing a chronic illness, I find that walking, uh, a monthly massage and yoga works really well for me. Someone with the same health condition, that's not going to work for them. So mm. at the end of the day, my job as a mental health, as a mental health clinician is to help people uh, work out what's going to be right for them. And people just need the space in their life to unpack their brain so I guess my job in many ways is decluttering people's minds mm. um you know and and part of the process of that of talking therapy which doesn't work for everyone but the vast majority of mental health work is is talking therapy and I think it's just it's really getting it out it's processing um giving people the space to sort of think out loud um offload some of their emotional um stuff in a very safe environment because, again, appreciate to back to what I said before about being vulnerable with one another, there is something to be said about doing that in a safe place with a clinician you're not going to see on Saturday. <laughs> you know, like I, I do think there is some inner workings of our mind and our heart that is better done mm. uh, or better processed in a safe place like a mental health clinician. How do people um, access that services, Jack? Do they just go to their GP or is it a different method? 
So look, I, I as a nurse, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of GPs. I think they're the, one of the primary health workers in mental health. That's because they see people over the long term. So mm-hmm. particularly people that build a relationship with a GP. And that they, you know, mental health care or health care just in general, it tends to be improved when people know someone and they've built a relationship and understand that person's physical and mental journey. Um, so I, over the last 12 years, I had the privilege of working in community health and got to see people over years. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, just such a blessing um, because I got to see young people change and grow and but it also showed me that you need to build a relation. You need some people in the mental health space who see people over the long term and see how things change. They sort of track with them. And then other people like psychologists, mental health nurses, mental health social workers, uh, occupational therapists, um, you know, and other clinicians uh, then come in and, and often provide support for that mm-hmm. person based on what need is presenting at the time. So, for example, um, perhaps either a young person or an adult who's, you know, struggling with anxiety, like anxiety is the most common mental health issue um, in in Australia. So they think it's about sort of one in four. It's often underreported, so it's probably higher than that. So if someone was struggling with anxiety that was impacting on their sort of day-to-day function, it was impacting on their ability to work or they had increased absenteeism or they were physically feeling it in their body, then what I would recommend is that they go see their GP and sort of talk about that. And then for some people, counselling is a really important part of learning how to manage their anxiety day-to-day. So then often a doctor would refer someone to either a psychologist or a mental health social worker, um, and uh, and then they would start the process of counselling under the mental health care plan, which a lot of people have probably heard of, which gives you 10 sessions of rebated counselling by Medicare. But there are lots of other counsellors in the community as well, so that who aren't funded by the government. Um, so for some people, they might want uh, a spiritual counselling, they might want counselling that sort of inc- is inclusive of their faith, so there are plenty of qualified counsellors in that space. Um, you know, so really at the end of the day, a GP is a really good place to start that conversation. And then I think, you know, referrals from friends can be helpful. So that's where being honest about our journey is helpful because the best referrals often come from someone recommending to someone to go see someone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because we like to know who we're seeing. Plenty of churches, you know, have uh, either counselling programs or passes that provide support. But it is really important for people to have a medical assessment for anxiety, depression and those kinds of mental health issues um, because it obviously impacts on physical health as well. So that's why it's important to do both. You also offer mental health first aid training. Do you want to tell people about how they can get in contact with you or who, who it's suitable for and who you, who's your ideal clients in that. And how much you love aspect. running it for professional organisers. <laughs> <laughs> I do love running it for professional organisers. They're such an awesome, I just love the, what I found with professional organisers is as an industry, they're, you know, they share knowledge and they, um, yeah, share their skills and I've found it to be a really positive um, industry to be you know working with so that's 
yeah, for me, that's really encouraging because some industries are a bit competitive in that regard. But so far, that's not been my experience. And I really kudos to the professional organisers for being a very positive industry in that regard. Um, so Mental Health First Aid is run by Mental Health First Aid Australia. I'm a very aware healthcare is very verbal, complicated <laughs> industry with lots of acronyms. And yes, it's a bit of a beast to navigate at times. But Mental Health First Aid has been running in Australia for about 20 years after um, a lecturer at Melbourne Uni having a lived experience in mental um, illness. And then her and her husband started the process of um, educating people like we do with physical first aid. So it's essentially the mental health equivalent of physical first aid training, which that most people know is doctors ABCD. The acronym for mental health first aid is ALGI, but you'd have to do the course to find out what they are. <laughs> and basically mental health first aid is about equipping people to be able to respond to someone who is experiencing a mental health, um, you know, a, maybe a mental health distress or in the case of mental health crisis, which in the community, sometimes there's a lot of suicide prevention courses and um, awareness campaigns. So mental health first aid training is a two-day training course, which aims to provide um, that important information to, for people to, if my friend or my colleague or, um, you know, my friend's daughter or, you know, you might be a coach at a footy club or you might be, in a large organisation, and you wanted to support your colleagues, it gives you the tip, it gives you the um, skills to be able to support that person to access professional supports, and gives uh, gives participants knowledge about how to approach some of those difficult conversations. Because I think more often than not, grief is a perfect example. Sometimes we really want to help, but we don't know what to say or don't know how to start a conversation. So really mental health first aid is there to equip the general public about how to have those mental health discussions and then, um, you know, and then be able to support people to get the support that they need. It also, mental health first aid, it, because it's education, what it does is it reduces stigma. So the more the general public knows about mental health and understands what is anxiety, what is depression, what are substance abuse problems, uh, what is psychosis, they're the topics that are addressed in the adult program and then there's others addressed in the youth and older adults programs. They basically... Um, by having a better knowledge of, of those issues and what people um, might be experiencing, people sort of like, oh, okay, now, oh, yeah, someone at work had that. I mean, Amy and mm. Kirsty, what did you find for you? You've both done the course. What, you know, what do you think was the main thing you took away from doing the course? For me, it was really empowering for me to know that I can step in and have conversations, whether it's, and I don't have to be anybody's saviour. I'm not there to provide the mental health support mm. that you offer or that doctors offer or psychologists or psychiatrists or anything. Like I can just be a listening ear and I can, I can help people, point people in the right direction. And 
giving me that empowerment to know how to approach those situations. You know, I had a situation in the last couple of weeks where I approached a friend and said, hey, beautiful, I think you might, you know, how are you going? How, how, how are you feeling? And actually, I think you might need more help than what you've been accessing at the moment. Can, you know, how can I support you in getting that help? And um, and made me, she reminded me that I was actually doing mental health first aid on her. <laughs> and I was all like, oh, yes, I am. Um, but I didn't go, like, I think it was just that in knowing that I could and knowing that there's no shame in in approaching somebody and saying, there's no shame from my side um, going, hey, I you know, it looks like you're struggling. Can How can I support you to mm. make different choices than what you're making at the moment? Um, so I found it invaluable and I tell everybody I know to do it, whether they're working <laughs> as a professional organiser or if they're just a parent or if, and again, it's not just because there's no just in anything. Um, but, yeah, if they're working, I told my husband that his workplace should be doing it and I think that it's invaluable training for everybody. Yeah. Mm, I think there's such confidence in um, knowing that you're not doing harm when you're trying to do good. And so I think there was always a question in my mind because we see so many people that need that mental health support that I'm not trained. How do I know that what I'm doing is not making things worse? So by having the training, I feel really confident to be able to go into our clients' homes and no matter what the issue is for them, to be able to say, I understand, I hear you, let's get the support you need, rather than thinking, oh, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to make everything worse and maybe I should just ignore it. <laughs> so, yeah, it just gave us the confidence and I, and I can really see that in our staff that they feel empowered when they go out. You know, we see lots of clients that have really um, highly impacting on their lives mental illness. And so it's so good to have the tools and resources to confidently love people and guide people through that. And I think, I mean, if people, you know, two-day course, you know, for whatever reason, that's just sort of a bit, you know, a bit much for them or a bit out of reach. Programs like Are You Okay?, um, is is another community program that sort of aims to give people strategies on how to approach conversations with mates or colleagues. So mm -hmm. that's coming up in September. Are you okay, Day? And we've got um, a whole episode. Oh, we're in listeners. September. <laughs> it's coming up soon, Jack. But we have a whole episode called "Are You Okay, Day?" that Which we recorded great. after we did a mental health training yes, session. Yes, actually, I remember now. <laughs> I do. And Beyond Blue is another really great resource. So in the mental health first aid training, we do take people through, you know, the health service we are aware is a very big, is a big service. So, you know, uh, there are some really, uh, really wonderful organisations like Beyond Blue, uh, like Are You OK Day, um, that actually are a good avenue into mental health. So if you're really unsure, the Beyond Blue website's a great website because it has a lot of that key information. And then it's about, I guess, finding someone that you can unpack that with. So GPs are often really good with that. You might even want to call, um, you know, like nurse on call or, you know, there is so many avenues. Um, but at the end of the day, um, 
it's about sort of just getting the information that you need you know mm. but let's go back to where I started the conversation with Inside Out the movie Inside Out by Pixar is it's really important too that we develop some mental health resilience you know because I think that um you know I often joke with young people that uh you know, God made ice cream for a reason <laughs> because, you know, when I was a teenager and, you know, you've either had a breakup or a fight with a friend or, you know, whatever, that there's something to be said about having a pyjama day and eating your favourite food and just self-caring, you know, um, that sometimes when our emotions are overwhelming, we just need to take care of ourselves. And so if a, if a day if a day off or you know, some time to yourself to watch your favourite movie and watch Steel Magnolias or something, which a good cry is always really cathartic, um, you know, that can be really helpful. But obviously if the issues persist, that's when I would be really encouraging people to seek out support either through their GP um, or, you know, talking to a friend who's maybe already been through that journey. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, if, if you broke your leg, you'd go get it treated. Or, you know, if, um, you know, if you had any other health issue, you would, but I think we have to still overcome that fear of seeing, being seen as weak because what we actually, those of us in the men mental health industry know that and what Brene Brown often talks about, being vulnerable and being willing to say I'm not okay is actually a sign of strength. Um, you know, at where it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a village to live a beautiful life. And I think um, at the end of the day, we we do need to sort of open ourselves up a little bit with our safe people um, to foster good mental health because too many people are suffering in silence and, um, you know, really encouraging you to, if if that's not an issue for you, but maybe looking out for people and, seeing how you can bless them and how you can encourage them. You know, we all, um, you know, a, a, a timely word of encouragement can boost, you know, can boost um, someone's well-being, you know. And so really just getting people to think, how can I bless on others? But um, for those of you that perhaps are sort of working through your decluttering journey and perhaps are aware that there's a lot of other stuff going on, that encouraging you to maybe consider, you know, the journey to some mental health care so you can declutter your mind as well. I love it. I love it. I want to read out a couple of reviews to finish off today's episode. And I think, Kirst, we may know who this person is. It's a five-star review titled Brilliant. I'm going to read it out. And actually, I'm going to tell you who it's from. It's from Mrs. Press. <laughs> so Claire Press from Wardrobe <laughs> Crisis, we adore you. And this is the review that she has left. I love this podcast so much. It's warm and funny and full of inspiration to make positive change. Thank you, Kirstie and Amy, for putting good out into the world. How nice is that? And I thought I'd read another one because you guys have been so good at putting them in. We're still catching up. So this one is a five-star review titled Love It from Anna R67. Thank you for providing ongoing support for your listeners, slowly building courage to tackle areas, acknowledging realities and difficulties while echoing affirmations on systems already in place in other areas of the house. Totally enjoyable listening. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. We love getting reviews. It, you know, if for no other reason, it boosts our own self-confidence that, hey, there's people who enjoy what we're doing. So, you know, if only for us, 
that would be awesome. Leave a review. <laughs> but also if you're trying to do, if you're taking on Jack's advice and doing something that blesses other people and doing good into the world, then, you know, write a review. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we really do acknowledge that this could have been a hard topic for some people to listen to. And some of the, um, references that Jack has given, um, are like the websites, are you okay? And beyond blue are accessible to anybody in the world. Um, and they are awesome websites. Uh, but we do really encourage you that if you're living in another part of the world, other than Australia, please look for some mental health resources in your home country as well but come and share in Australia's goodness um, for those websites as well um, and if we can help you in any other way um, finding those resources just reach out to us and we'll do what we can to help you um, thank you Jackie for sharing your wisdom and your gold with us today and thank you again for training us and our staff in mental health first aid I can never say that right I always say mental first instead of mental health so in <laughs> mental health first aid thank you for your invaluable service to the art of yeah. decluttering and now to our listeners my pleasure. And as I always say to young people when they leave my office, may the force be with you. <laughs> we love you, Jack. See you next week, listeners. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. If you've learned something awesome today, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook so others can find our podcast too. Don't forget you can see the show notes in your podcast app or over at our website, artofdecluttering.com.au. So if there's anything you want more info on, check it out there. If you'd like to join our supporter community, you can do so over at patreon.com slash decluttering. We hope you have a great rest of your day and enjoy the freedom. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.